You're listening to Expanding Horizons, the podcast of the Unitarian Church of South Australia, a home of progressive spirituality and free religious thought and action since 1854. The views expressed in these podcasts are those of the speaker and are not intended to represent the position of the Church itself or of the worldwide Unitarian Universalist movement. For more information, visit unitariansa.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone. I'll just start off uh, getting a few notices out of the way. Let's get this business done, and then we can enter into a time of contemplation This week, on Wednesday, two things for those interested in bush and cemetery care at Shady Grove. That's happening on Wednesday morning. Words of Spirit are this Wednesday, 6pm here, a quiet time contemplating some holy words. I'll say something about Christmas services too, so that people know what's going on. Uh, There will be more or less a regular service here next Sunday 24th of December 10.30am and there'll be a lot of Christmas carols so you have been warned. (laughs) Shady Grove Christmas Eve service so also next Sunday 5pm if you want to go up to Shady Grove bring a plate there'll be a shared meal after that service. Um, Also, a couple of things. There's a Shady Grove photo book available to order. Just lots of lovely photos of Shady Grove that has been prepared a while ago, but they can be reprinted at a cost. Call Mary in the office if you're interested. Also, this is the second announcement, probably final announcement for this one. A miracle at Shady Grove. Somebody went in there with a walking stick and were able to walk out without it. So, isn't that hallelujah? If you have a missing walking stick, contact Mary. The office will be closed, except by arrangement, during the week leading up to Christmas. So just call Mary. if uh, She will be answering the phone, checking emails intermittently. So I think that's the most important thing. And please note that if you are going up to Shady Grove for any reason, there are weather considerations. If there is fire or severe weather forecast the night before for Mount Barker, then don't go. It will be cancelled. You're free to make a contribution on the way out if you wish. As you know, we're an independent, self-governing group of people. And everyone is welcome. We've been going since 1854 in South Australia. And we meet on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. We respect their elders past and present. Now, some music to bring us into a time away from the troubles of the world. Thank you, Robin.
As is a regular part of our service, I light the candle on this chalice. In its own modest way, it radiates light and warmth, as the sun does many, many times over. May we also radiate light and warmth to those around us. And now I'd like to invite Helen up to read a poem, an American poet, still writing. O Sanctus Sun by Joy Berkey Watson Warm candlelight of dawn, stars fade and then are gone. Venus shines up to the last, Sanctus Sun. Morning Mass, rejoice here by my side as night unfolds with song. Our dreams have much to tell. Come here and walk along. Unite in brotherhood and feel the you in me. Sense the awe of God foretold in history. It's in the morning breeze our ships look to the shore. It's in the warming blood we feel we can endure. Eye to eye, you and I have known the raging sea. Worn out fears of salty tears remain in memory. Doves of peace are standing by. Release them from their cell, free to fly. Winging birds who know of life so well. All too soon, fears will pass. Another mystery. Count the minutes freedom took to set our spirits free. All the paths that we have walked to reach the mountains high, sailing through life's ocean deep to see the blue of sky. Reflections in the glass, wandering through our head, Love, my friend, will not be still until our fears are dead. Let the psalms of blessedness awake to spirit's hand as we journey on through life towards the promised land. Warm candlelight of dawn, stars fade and then are gone. Venus shines up to the last. Beautifully read. Thank you. And now a hymn. Uh, books have been distributed. Moods of Summer. It's number 268 in the book. And although a little long, it's a wonderful celebration of nature and some lovely sentiments at the end of each verse. So let's sing it all the way through. Thank you. Robin.
Thank you. And now, as is customary in our service, we have the opportunity to light a candle representing a joy or concern that we may have in our hearts. I shall light the first candle. And this is a joy at a meeting recently. My friend, let's take a moment to contemplate what we've heard. Pray if you will, but let us consider the trials that we face in life, often with our own health, sometimes with relationships, both intimate and in the workplace. And yet, there is so much for which we can be grateful. Let us be grateful for the healing that does take place. Let us be grateful for the kindness that people show each other. Let us be grateful for the opportunities that life presents. Opportunities in relationship, in fulfilment of our talents through our expression and our work. Let us be grateful. May it be so. May it be so. May it be so. And now uh, I'd like to invite John forward to offer a reading from the novelist. It's here on the screen, John, if you wish. This short reading is from my midsummer morning, Rediscovering a Life of Adventure by Alastair Humphreys. I now believe there is something even more important than striving for the remarkable. And that is to stop dreaming about an adventure of a lifetime and instead pursue a lifetime of living adventure through a daily pledge to push myself a little, scare myself now and then, and remain curious. Thank you, John. Read with great effect. <laughs> now, I have uh, some reflections to offer you today about midsummer. So next Friday afternoon is midsummer in this part of the world. The name long given to the summer solstice, the time when our place on earth appears to be closest to the sun. As you probably know, the earth revolves around the sun on an angle, on a tilt, something like a wobbly top, although that doesn't sound very stable, does it? I hope it keeps spinning. Um, and you, this is hard to believe, I know, but I did not prepare this, but today of all days I find a tennis ball sitting next to the lectern. So I'm demonstrating that's the sun. This USB is the earth on a tilt, and it goes around the sun on that tilt. So the southern hemisphere when it's around this particular side of the sun, is closer to the sun than when it's six months away on the other side. And the northern hemisphere, in June, is therefore getting 
the maximum of the sun's rays and appears to be closer to the sun. And the opposite is the case at this time of the year in December. So the summer solstice is the longest day, but curiously it's not actually the day of the earliest dawn necessarily or the latest sunset. Now the ancient peoples worked out pretty early on that the sun was absolutely essential to life on earth. They noticed that when the sun was at these extreme points it seemed to stop in its transit. Of course it was the earth turning around the sun but it appeared to be still for a day or two and so we have from the Latin solstice meaning the sun being still. They not only kept an eye on it but they built elaborate monuments to track the movement of the sun and so we have Stonehenge, huge stone monuments in South America, in Scotland, various places around the world. What we don't have is the wonderful Carl Sagan explaining what's happening. <laughs> but he has travelled to a fairly isolated part of the southern region of the United States where the people of that area, no longer in existence, had built quite a large circular stone structure with an aperture so that at the summer solstice, the sun's rays would light up a particular little cavity they'd built in the opposite wall, which quite possibly had some image of a sun god of some kind. It's absolutely remarkable, the, the, efforts, the efforts to which people went to... Um, express their desire that the sun continue on its path. And of course, although it was in summer, it was desirable that the, the sun continue so that the, the crops could keep growing through the summer season. In Europe, northern Europe especially, the bonfire became common. Literally means a good fire. And one speculation is that it was done to encourage the sun to keep its own flaming and warmth going. And people would dance around the bonfire. It was a time of celebration, drinking, eating, making merry. And one of the practices that developed was jumping over the bonfire. And apart from a demonstration of prowess, possibly to give some encouragement to the grain to grow to a particular height, I'm not sure. Interestingly, the practice of jumping over the fire continued for many centuries past the medieval era. So even when people moved into towns, the ritual was not forgotten. And so a parlour game developed of jumping over a lit series of candles or a candle on a candlestick. Uh, hence the rhyme, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack jump over the candlestick. I'm not going to try it on the altar today, no. Um, but it was uh, a happy time in uh, primitive agricultural societies. There was plenty of food around and living was comfortable, at least more than in the depths of winter. As the classic Gershwin song, Summertime, has it, the living is easy and the cotton is high. 
maybe not much cotton in northern Europe, but you get the idea. Um, known in England as Litha, that was from Old English, uh, it was the time of celebration. Uh, it's a term still used by contemporary Wiccan communities, witches if you will, with the midsummer and associated ritual. Unsurprisingly, there have been many cultural references to midsummer. It's been so significant in human culture for so many millennia. So I give you a few examples. First of all, midsummer murders. <laughs> Set in the fictional county of midsummer with a murder rate higher than Johannesburg and New York City combined. Now, look, I'm, I'm meant to be profound here, you know, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But I did want to say three things about it. First, it is remarkable that it's been going since 1997, continuously, with seasons every year. That is remarkable. Secondly, I offer an opinion. There could never be an adequate replacement for the first Chief Inspector Barnaby. Good, I'm getting some agreement from the crowd. A bit of, con bit of controversy. Thirdly, and... This is uh, perhaps more interesting. There was a controversy in 2011 when the producer of the series stated in a magazine interview that the series didn't have any non-Caucasian characters because the series was, quote, the last bastion of Englishness, and I want to keep it that way. And the interviewer said, well, does that mean, you know, Englishness means you would exclude ethnic minorities? And the producer responded, well, it should do, and maybe I'm not politically correct. So, you know, I offer the view, it's not really a question of correctness, it's just out-and-out -out racism. And he was sacked after that. And subsequently, non-Caucasian characters were portrayed in the series. Anyway, of more relevance to reflections today is the 2019 film Midsommar. Spelt in sort of Swedish, although it was for Western audiences, English-speaking audiences generally. It was understandably billed as a horror movie, but the creators of the film spent a lot of time making the setting as authentic as possible. Essentially, the story is a young couple in a fraught relationship. They travel together to a small commune in Sweden where ancient midsummer rituals are practised. And the film incorporates fictional but realistic costumes, a history of the local people, traditional rituals up to a point, and even they had their own runic language for this uh, community which was made up for the film. There were echoes of another great midsummer film, The Wicker Man, starring Edward Woodward. That's one worth looking up. Also involving the quaint but inscrutable practices of the traditional community, revolving around nature worship, fertility and sacrifice. Of course, like politicians going to war, sacrifice is always easier if someone else does it. And now I come to Midsummer Night's Dream, one of Shakespeare's great comedies. Shakespeare was inspired by a work called Metamorphosis, or Changing, by Ovid. Uh, it was translated into English not long before Shakespeare started writing this. The story, briefly, a royal couple are shortly to be married and a group of workers is preparing a play to perform at the wedding. The royal groom has a daughter. She's been ordered to marry a boy but refuses to do so. 
girlfriend of the said girl is in love with the boy slated to marry the said girl. Meanwhile, another boy is in love with the girlfriend who is in love with the other boy. So they all run off into the forest for different reasons. Now, there's another royal couple in the shadowy world of the fairies. Now, they're having marital problems, and this causes the king of the fairies to send the mischievous fairy Puck to carry out mischief in the forest. Mistaken identities, confusion, distress, but hilarious for the audience, and it all works out in the end. But there's a lot in the play about infatuation versus love and dream versus reality. As the character Bottom, he's the leader of the tradey thespian troupe, as he says, to say the truth, reason and love keep little company together nowadays. The more the pity that some honest neighbours will not make them friends. Let's leave it there and hear some more beautiful music from Robin. I'll come back in a moment. Thank you, Robin. It's always a joy to hear your angelic voice. It does raise a question to all the innkeepers out there whether you have room for a child in your heart, whether you have room for holiness in your heart. I go on with my discussion of Midsummer Night's Dream. The insightful Duke Theseus, although delighted to marry his chosen one, is not one to be carried away by emotion. He says, lovers and madmen have such seething brains, such shaping fantasies that apprehend more than cool reason ever comprehends. The lunatic, the lover and the poet are of imagination all compact. One sees more devils than vast hell can hold, that is, the madman. The lover, all as frantic, sees Helen's beauty in a brow of Egypt. The poet's eye, in fine frenzy rolling, doth glance from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven, and as imagination bodies forth the forms of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes and gives to airy nothing a local habitation and a name. And Carl Jung said, we dream of our questions, our difficulties. Sometimes our dreams are just processing the business of the day. 
making sense of our interactions and mistakes. On other occasions, though, our dreams resolve fundamental issues, such as relationships with father and mother, or questions of identity. Bottom, under the spell of fairies, just as we could say we are under the spell of our unconscious mind as we sleep, Bottom wakes startled by a dream experience. He declares, I have had a most rare vision. I have had a dream past the wit of man to say what dream it was. But human nature being what it is, he tries to analyse it anyway. And he being maybe not the most articulate of people, puts it this way. Man is but an ass if he go about to expound this dream. He thought I was... Well, there's no man can tell what. Methought I was, and methought I had, but man is but a patched fool if he will offer to say what methought I had. The eye of man hath not heard. The ear of man hath not seen. Man's hand is not able to taste, his tongue to conceive, nor his heart to report what my dream was. I think he got a little bit mixed up there. Joseph Campbell, great writer of things mythological, saw a contrast between the Hindu openness to visions of divine beings and the European Enlightenment tendency, on the other hand, to reduce everything to the rational. He said, We have turned to the dream world from the sphere of waking consciousness and see dream as a fact for science to consider. The Orient turns to life from the realm of rapture and sees life as a dream. Now, while I'm not necessarily saying that life is an illusion, there is something useful about contemplating it as such. It helps us, like Duke Theseus, to detach ourselves from all this pageantry, this realm of emotional hooks, this thicket of labels and indoctrinating messages with which we are constantly bombarded. The way of spirit takes us one step away from all that, not preventing us from loving, but allowing us to love consciously. But to get back to Midsummer. What can we understand from the imagery of the sun and its power? The Persian poet Hafiz, you know him from the 1300s? Great poet. This is what he said. Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky. And I'd also like to read to you a poem by the Spanish poet, Antonio Machado, who lived from 1875 to 1939. It's called Last Night While I Was Sleeping. Last night while I was sleeping, I dreamed, blessed illusion, that a fountain flowed inside my heart. Say, through which hidden ditch, water, you come to me, spring of new life, where I never drank, Last night while I was sleeping, I dreamt 
Blessed illusion that I had a hive inside my heart and the golden bees were manufacturing in it with the old bitterness, white wax and sweet honey. Last night while I was sleeping I dreamt blessed illusion that a burning sun shone inside my heart. It was hot because it gave heat of red home and it was sun because it lit up and because... It made people cry. Last night, when I was sleeping, I dreamt, blessed illusion, that it was God who I had inside my heart. So here is a poetic question for you. What of our heart, or if you like, the centre of consciousness within us that can offer affection, kindness and encouragement, What if our heart was like a sun inside of us, emanating love? Undoubtedly, our consciousness affects others. Do we endow a cloudy day to those around us? Or do you give light and warmth when you talk with others? Strangers, family, or friends. You have it in you. It's your choice. Today and through the week and on. So I say, may the sun inside you continue to give light and warmth to those around you. May it be so. May it be so. May it be so. We hope you've enjoyed this Expanding Horizons podcast. These podcasts are the intellectual property of the presenter. They can be used only with the express permission and appropriate acknowledgement of the presenter. This permission can be obtained by emailing admin at unitariansa.org.au. Please feel free to leave a comment or visit us on Facebook or Twitter by searching SA Unitarians or by visiting our website at unitariansa.org.au.